Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who has stolen hundreds, if not thousands, of gorilla suits in his life. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, sometimes you just gotta crawl into a box truck thinking that you are meeting a real gorilla, and then walk away with this gorilla suit. Yeah, I mean, you're a weird little boy. Yeah, it, it, you know, I mean. <laughs> You know what, gorilla? I like to think of gorilla suits as common property. Yeah, and there's and, only yeah. It's like it's like how umbrellas should be treated, right? You well, have, and, and how umbrellas are widely treated here, unfortunately, much right. to my chagrin, more than once. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You were uh, at the detriment. Yeah, because uh, because it, the only way that system works is if everybody's on board in every direction. You know right. what I mean? Like, if you brought an umbrella and then you're like, well, I don't want to steal an umbrella, but you've had yeah. yours stolen, you're like, well, now this is a problem. See, I uh, I have a, a similar uh, practical use of umbrellas, but instead of just using them once and letting someone else take them, I use them once and they break. That's just my entire history of owning umbrellas. <laughs> Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. If you want in on that, you can help keep us going for just a dollar a month, and you get access to non-criterion bonus episodes. You get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. So we've watched a lot of interesting stuff over there, a lot of stuff that maybe should be in the Criterion collection, and a lot of stuff that... uh, well, at least one movie that ended up in the Criterion Collection after we covered it over there. So we'll have to we'll have to re-record that episode sometime. Yeah, well, I don't know. We'll just replace it with like us critiquing a Garfield comic or something. I'm not sure. There we go. There we go. That'll work. Um, but uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun. We've watched. Uh, well, the one that ended up in the Criterion Collection was the uh, uh, Sidney Lumet's uh, version of the same tale that ended up being made into. Uh, uh, another Criterion movie, uh, which is actually why we watched it. On yeah, the, which is why we watched it in the first place. On the bonus. I mean, but, it's, uh, yeah, it's fine. It's, I don't know. I still kind of wonder if that was like a pity, like a pity edition, where they're like, well, we put in the thing that's basically a parody of right. of this story. Well, let's just put in the original, you know, looks bad. Right, 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 right. It is Sidley Lumet. Um, so, like, I mean, you know, <laughs> it is Sidley Lumet. Lumet. It's just, it's, it's not, not, I don't you know. know. You know what I mean? You know what? We've, we've talked around it. Uh, Sidley Lumet's Failsafe is the movie we covered on the bonus, which is the same source material, but a straight version of Dr. Strangelove. Uh, anyway, um, they're both fun movies. Failsafe is very interesting in that uh, Walter Matthau plays the Strangelove character and plays him much more. Uh, 
much more Kissinger than Strangelove was. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. Well, I mean, which is what like which is the good the correct the correct right, not right, right, goofy right. ass read on it. Like I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that like after you've seen Strangelove, like watching a straight version of it feels oddly like weird. Uh, like unre- <laughs> like not rewarding. You're like, "Oh, like this right, is just what right, this should right. be. Like this all makes yeah. sense and isn't weird." <laughs> like, fine, right. yeah. Yeah. But we've also watched some some other really great movies. Uh a uh Louis Malle uh list got us to watch uh his documentary God's Country, which is amazing. Which was phenomenal. Um might be my favorite also- documentary we've ever watched for this podcast, which includes yeah. a lot of them. But yeah, I, I think so. It wasn't uh, it wasn't any from uh from last week's or not last week's episode, but from uh Well as much as I did like science a science fiction like, um, episode. As much as I did watch a like watching a dog have its blood replaced. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was cool and all. Blood replacement. Uh I'm just glad the dog survived. I am See, I still feel like that's learned. a trick. I still feel like we're being <laughs> lied to. I don't believe that's true. Yeah, the dog survived uh, for four. Like, ha, like the dog had those puppies three days later, pa, like keeled over. Like, it just doesn't sound true to me. Sorry, you're right. You're right. Unreliable documentary. Yeah, I, I do feel uh, so. <laughs> anyway, we watched uh, we watched Ernest Goes Camp, which probably won't be in the Criterion Collection. But it's also really a documentary. The entire the entire Ernest box set needs to end up. God, in the Criterion it's probably sure. it, there's a. There's a non-zero chance that that could happen, and I yeah. would be there yeah. for it. It would. It, I, I mean, look forward to it. The 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 Ernest collection it has its highs and its lows. Don't get me wrong, but man, its lows are very low. Its lows are very low, but its highs, but are, very highs high. are very high. Yeah, and I feel like there's uh, you could get a lot of good Criterion essays out of that right there. I I agree. I agree. Uh, maybe I'll get to write one. That <laughs> would be amazing. We've tapped you. We finally tapped the Adam Glass for the <laughs> Ernest box set. Oh, they'll make me talk about Ernest goes to Africa. Yeah, you, yeah. You'll have to. You'll have to. Well, but like, think about the meat on that bone in terms of like, like critiquing oh, well, yeah. racial narratives in in America, circa whatever year that came out. Right. From from a guy who has done actually pretty good at critiquing class narratives. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could uh, you could do literally certainly. any of the Ernest box set as a class narrative. That's easy. Right. That's the easy right, one. Right, 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 right. Anyway, uh, like I said, we've had a lot of fun over there. Uh, hopefully, this hints at that. But we uh, <laughs> we like talking about those movies. Um, but that's all for a dollar a month. You get access to the bonus episode. You get to vote on what's next. You get all fifty of the bonus episodes that are already up over there. Uh, actually, it's forty nine. I think we're getting very close to down, the point where you could listen to one a week for an entire year. And all you got to do, just one dollar, you can just download all the. Give us one dollar for a month. Download all of them really quick. Right, and then and you then, got a whole year's worth of. Right, right, yeah, and then you could totally stop paying us. That's fine. I don't care. Yeah. that's I don't I really don't care if that's what you want to do. Um, alternatively, true. you could also do the other version of that. Which is where you download them all and you binge them for a day and a like a day and a quarter, and then yeah. and then probably I don't know go to the hospital or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a it very seems good very idea. uncomfortable and painful. I do not recommend yeah. it. Now, if you if you don't want to just give us a dollar, steal our content, and then uh, and then disappear, it's not uh, stealing. 
It's not stealing because you gave us the dollar. You gave us the dollar, the exact amount it costs technically to own all of that content. Right, right, right. Uh, anyway, if you do want to give us a little extra money, we have a couple other tiers. The $5 tier is just for people who uh, who love us, want to pop up a little bit, love us, and uh, and want to hear themselves thanked on air. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to thank them on air. Thank you to Stephen Goldmeyer and Eric Coronado for uh, your $5 supports. Uh, yes, thank you. A, a little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. At $10 and above, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. And I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note to uh, to those supporters and mail that off. So if you like bespoke art and a uh, little surprise mail in the middle of the month. I uh, mean, yeah, I guess it's a surprise because you don't know exactly what day it's going to show up. You don't know exactly. Because there's... Uh, yeah. Especially given because, the current state of the United States postal system, you don't even right, really know right. what month it's going to show up in, but... And I've got to I've got to wait for all the postcards to get to me through the mail, and then it's never just, mind it waiting fluctuate. for Pat to actually finish it, which will almost always happen at the last possible second. They will the the postcards in their history have gotten to users. Uh, the postcards in their history have gotten to supporters, but anytime between about the tenth and the thirty first. I think is probably nice, the nice, latest nice. I've ever. Never earlier yeah. than that. Well, earlier than that's almost impossible. That would require me to finish prior than the last well, like three or four days of the of the month. Anyway, there is at least a four day turnaround on the printing. Right, so right. even if you finished the week before the end of the month, right? Yeah, it'd be pretty tough to get them out. But uh, but those ten dollar and above supporters, we do have a good chunk of them who who uh, who enjoy it. So I'd like to thank all of them on there as well. Thank you to Chris Otto, to Jason Westhaver, Michael McGrath, Patrick Galco, and Adam Speckerman, our ten dollar and above supporters right now. Yes, thank you very much, and I hope you enjoyed the postcards. Yeah. Uh, if if you as a non-supporter want to go and see the postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost and Criterion and see most of them. There's a couple where yeah, fuck there's Warner been Brothers. some. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It couple. is. It is. It is. Ugh, finger kiss that my that the postcard I made about cops got copyright copped away. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Redbubble has a. Uh, very clearly has an auto rejection algorithm uh, for uh, for certain copyright material, uh, and unfortunately, a Superman as a police officer one got rejected recently and a few months ago when we first put them too. up. A uh, a Godzilla one got rejected from uh, Toho and Redbubble. Even though both of these are pretty clear parody, Redbubble is uh, less willing to. Uh, to actually go to court to fight right. these things. So. I, I'm giving serious consideration to redoing the uh, Superman one because it would be relatively easy to just say, replace the Superman logo with the words, fuck Redbubble. <laughs> it's either that or fuck I, Warner Brothers. I don't know which one it'll be. Uh, yeah. I, I've given I a lot of if, thought to that. I wonder if the uh, if the Redbubble algorithm will, <laughs> I, That's what I'm that kind of wondering, too, right if it, it'll like pick up on it and be like, oh, one of these postcards is disparaging our company. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, that's uh, yeah. Redbubble.com search for Lost and Criterion if you want to see the postcards. Uh, if you want to support us though, uh, directly, patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. This week we've got a, a pretty interesting little black comedy religious movie, uh, directed by John Huston as an adaptation of Wise Blood. 
by Flannery O'Connor. Uh, did you watch uh, the bonus materials with this? I did not have Pat? time. I am sorry to say that's okay. I saw it and there I was is, like, I should watch this, and then I was like, Oh there's no, some, I have uh, things to watch. There's some pretty interesting uh, stuff from the producers of the movie, one of whom was also the screenwriter who adapted it, uh, whose family were friends of uh, of O'Connor. Uh, they do not necessarily seem especially religious people. Mm-hmm. Uh, O'Connor is an especially religious person. Uh, but they did... Uh, <laughs> It is it is pretty clear, I think, from watching the movie that John Huston uh, has a pretty specific idea of what he thinks he's doing with this movie, right? And that O'Connor maybe gets the best of him in the end by <laughs> by him being true to the ending of the movie. Uh, Huston seems to have thought that this was a uh, celebration of an atheist who continues to live his life self defined uh, despite the forces around him. Whereas O'Connor definitely meant the ending as a man who is finally broken after Jesus has stalked him throughout the entire narrative, which which is something that Houston definitely puts into the narrative too, right? In the framing of shots when he's street preaching about right. his Church of Christ without Christ, and literally there's a sign behind him that says Jesus saves in huge neon lettering, right? Um, but uh, but the uh, the ending particularly. Uh, O'Connor meant as a sort of commentary on not irresistible grace because that's a very Protestant idea and O'Connor is very, very Catholic, um, but sort of uh, an idea that that God's after you, I guess, (laughs) but in a good way. (laughs) Right, but here's the thing, though, right? At the same time... It it is not that hard to read the the Houston version of this, which is, yeah, God's after you, but in a bad way, <laughs> right? Right. Like right, I mean, right. if you like the last minutes of this film, are are basically just a litany of agony, right? Right. It's not, not which we see no relief of. There's no right. There's no there's no from relief a, from that agony, from from an O'Connor Catholic stance. Uh, this is this is a man who has begun self-flagellating out of repentance, right? Uh, right, and, and that is. But it's a guy is... who started torturing himself out of guilt and tortures himself to death. So right, um, I mean, and, and what we're inter- what's interesting there is the fact that like that that's the funny thing though about that sort of mode of religious thinking, right? Is that like, <laughs> like it's very 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 easy to come at it from the other direction like right. you know what i mean like if you want if if you are of a mind to see that is like the the way of things for your religion yeah. that's like yeah it makes sense but if you're of a, of the other mind it's very inter- easy to see this as a fucking nightmare yeah. that like so this 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 god or this dream of a god has broken this man and and right, ruined right, his existence right. very much yes um so there's uh there's interviews with the producer the screenwriter uh who's also a co-producer and Brad Dorf who stars um 
And they are all sort of on board with O'Connor's interpretation of this and believe that Houston, despite his best efforts, succumbed to O'Connor's interpretation of, of the material. Um, and also all tell stories about late in production, John Houston suddenly realizing that he has failed in what he thought as the interpretation of the work. And the the producers kind of talk like it, like they, well, we let John believe this about the material, right? We let him believe that he could, he could succeed in doing this because we wanted him to make the movie. Um, which is not to say that this movie fails as a movie at all. It might fail, it might not fail in what Houston particularly wants the idea of the movie to be. But it's a really fun movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even as it dies. I will, one more thing on uh, on fidelity to the source material. O'Connor's is actually more explicitly anti-cop. Okay. Uh, the, the police are in marked ways worse in the book. That actually makes a are. lot of sense. Like, when did uh, O'Connor write the book? Uh, it would have been, oh goodness, um, 52. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not super, like, thinking cops suck is not a, like, a revolutionary modern idea. Right, 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 universe. right, right. And, and, and also among religious types, it is not a new or, like, it, I mean, it's, it's a good idea. It's just not new yeah and and so, a, a fairly religious person believing that like yeah cops are gonna fuck your shit up for no reason other than their own <laughs> right, petty grievances right. yeah absolutely so so toward the ending of the book um and the ending of the movie the penultimate scene actually um the uh main character's landlord has fallen in love with him mm-hmm. and has tried to convince him to stay with her so that she can take care of him and marry her so that she can better take care of him and he wanders off in a rainstorm. And she calls the police and has apparently told them as a means of getting them to bring him back to a person who has no blood relationship to him. Uh, she has apparently told him that he owes her back rent. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was, so, was going to say so we something about police, landlords also, but yeah. Yeah. We see the, the police acting explicitly in the movie and the novel, the police acting explicitly as enforcement for the landholder class. Uh, not to say that this woman is especially well off for her landlording, but she is still a landlord. Right, um, and I mean, the, you know, we can who uses get in... the power right. who uses the power of the state to manipulate a very distraught man. Right, um, exactly. I mean, it, yeah, like the, she has. There are problems with this person, like so, with this character. So in the movie, police find him, argue about whether or not it's him, get out, wake him up throw him in the back of the car, get back to the house, throw him into a bed, and she discovers he's dead. Right. Those are the events. In the book, and O'Connor's prose is is, is pretty great sometimes, so I, I, I maybe want to I want to read it. Uh, just, just a few excerpts. Um, so they're arguing about whether or not it's him because they're arguing whether or not the suit he's in is blue, which is something in the movie. And uh, says, yes, it is blue, the first one said. Quit pushing up so close to me. Get out, and I'll show you it's blue. Because he's leaning over to look out the window at him. 
They got out and walked around the car and squatted down on the edge of the ditch. They both had on tall new boots and new policemen's clothes. They both had yellow hair with sideburns, and they were both <laughs> both fat, but one was much fatter than the other. Um, skip a little bit. Maybe he's just unconscious, the fatter one said, taking out his new billy. They watched him for a few seconds. His hand was moving along the edge of the ditch as it was hunting, as if it was hunting to gri- for something to grip. He asked them in a hoarse whisper where he was and if it was day or night. It's day, the thinner one said. You got to take that. We got to take you back to pay your rent. Um, skipping down a little bit more. I forgot to mark what paragraphs particularly I wanted to read. I apologize. Um, well, I can't. I can't find it particularly. Anyway. They hit him over the head with the billy, and that's what's killed. Yeah, of him. course they do. Yeah, in the uh, movie. see, or see in the book. now, I that's a shame that we don't get that in the movie version. Like, yeah, th- that being the sort of like final, sort of ultimate, um, sort of actual cause of death is is a fascinating thing that I think is a bit of a misstep to take out. Right. Right. Like, it it adds a layer of nuance to the to the story that is. I mean, not that this is not a nuanced movie or anything like that. I'm just saying right. that that extra final little bit of like muddying of the waters at the end is nice. It's nice to have it in there that like in the end the state is the actor that like right f- like does him in. Like there's all kinds of things that lead up to it and 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 are included in that, but like that's that's the thing that does it right um right and it and it obviously there's a lot of uh god's a cop theology throughout this movie right and it is that god's a cop theology that leads this guy to punish himself in the manner he punishes himself uh, which does lead to his death ultimately he probably would have died in the ditch but then the police showed up and hit him over the head. Right, uh, right. Yeah, I mean, it's really, instead of, yeah. Instead of anyone offering any help, particularly in that <laughs> explicit situation of the time. Right. Uh, the police show up and hit him over the head to take him back to his landlord to pay his rent, even though they've just killed him. But don't bother checking I mean, to make sure right, really, he's any, still alive. Well, or any of it, really. Like, they don't ask right. for or or demand any proof that he is delinquent on rent payments or anything like that. Right, right, there's right, no, right. There's no footwork done because the, the ultimate these, purpose and goal of it is just that sort of maintenance of that class right. and also to do violence. Just like... And the description... The description of their brand new uniforms is is playing off something a couple paragraphs earlier. They are both rookie cops. These are meant to be men who have joined the force explicitly to treat people like this. Right is right. how o- is how O'Connor is framing this. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and every every cop that is encountered throughout the narrative is bad, and yeah. it's bad. Is is bad to Hazel, and is not bad to Hazel because of what Hazel is. Is bad for what they immediately perceive Hazel to be. Right. Right. Well, I uh, mean, and 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 there's also the sort of extension of that in the story, you know, in the movie. You know, there's that extension of like what they perceive him to be, but also the sort of notion that like 
they will be bad to literally anybody that right. they even anybody. remotely deem they're able to be bad to. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, There's a class of people the... they are not allowed to be bad to, but you're right. not one of them. <laughs> but you are not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first encounter, uh, the first encounter with police we have is the uh, is the traffic cop who yells at him for crossing against a walk uh, do not walk sign, right? And and he, you know, he's treating Hazel like that because he thinks he's a country bumpkin, right? Come to the city for right. the first time, right. he doesn't understand city rules, uh, but he's also very explicitly racist in right, in how right, he, just in a really intensely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we've got the the sheriff who pulls him over because I didn't like the look of you, he says, and has him get out of his car and then pushes his car into a lake, a pond. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, cops are bad throughout. I've never read the entire... Uh, the entire uh, O'Connor... Uh, O'Connor... Uh, novel um i try to make it a point when we are reading when we're watching what what seem to be faithful adaptations i usually read the last chapter just to just to compare and that's what i did this time or the least the last few pages uh just to see if it ends the same way and it mostly it mostly doesn't in the same way except that o'connor makes the uh the police violence the cause of his death much more overtly, right, right, uh, than than Houston does. Um, now, I will say, despite the fact that in the interviews, Dorif and uh, the producers are both uh, the Fitzgerald brothers, Benedict and Michael, um, they are all sort of on board with with O'Connor, uh, Harry Dean Stanton. I have not read any of Stanton's commentary on this movie, but Harry Dean Stanton is a lifelong devout evangelical even atheist right uh but but in good ways um <laughs> not not in that new atheist early right. 2000s yeah, sort of that, way. that nightmare well yeah uh, yeah and here's so, the thing though so it, i imagine yeah. i imagine he relished his role in this movie very much oh yeah and, i mean yeah like you can tell watching him con too. man preacher yeah like totally <laughs> yeah well and here's the thing right like again like coming at it from the other direction you would be hard pressed to prove like they can say what they want about whether they like the people who are religiously minded believe that Houston failed in his efforts to right, render right, this right, out right. as being anti sort of anti-Christian. Like, I don't feel like he failed. Like I watched this movie and like, yeah, the the character in the movie to a certain extent fails in his efforts. But like because his goal is to is to escape from this and it pulls him back in. But as an indictment of this from the outside from an outside perspective, that's not that's not a failure of effort of of the work right. like of that goal because what you end up in that situation is you like you end up reaffirming what people who aren't a part of that already understand which is yeah this shit will work very 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 hard to pull you back in and fucking right. gr- grind you into nothing so like i think it, i think that's houston what happens to this guy out, like i think houston set out to make a bunelian 
indictment of all of Christianity in the same way that Buñuel tried to make indictments of all of Christianity, organized Christianity at least. And like Buñuel, ended up just making a critique of the sort of Christianity he was familiar with. Right, but that's you're uh, always gonna. But like that's true of all critiques which, of all things, right? right? You're right, never gonna right, be able right. to critique anything on the broadest scope because you have no experience with all things, right? Yeah. And, and but I think it's also it's also maybe fair to say I don't think Houston was unfamiliar with O'Connor's work. No, I'm not. I maybe he'd never read the novel, but you know the script is pretty pretty. Uh, you know, faithful to right, plot right. wise, at least you lose you lose O'Connor's writing style, obviously, but well, except yeah, that but that's, dialogue. A, that's a given. But, like that's yeah, yeah, but that's a given. But O'Connor's critique is a very particular critique of a very, American Christianity yeah. too, right? Well, and a very of, particular uh, kind of even a very particular like subset of American Christianity, <laughs> right. right? Like. Yeah, O'Connor, as much as she believes, you know, you know, she's she's Catholic, um, and there's you know a wide range of opinions within Catholicism too of of many things, right? Right. Because uh, we've got very explicit socialist Catholic workers who are like you know breaking into uh, uh, federal uh, army bases to destroy. Uh, nuclear bombs right um and we've got you know uh and we've got the trad casts who think that pope francis is the devil uh so well, and, um, and, and a million other and a million and other a million things out there a million too, things right? in between so you know i i think it's interesting that every while while enoch in narrative is particularly trying to find a new jesus right um Everybody's got their own false Jesus that the narrative sort of proves to be false, be it the mummy or money or conga or a good car. Right. You know? And that's really with with Hazel, he uses the car in a fit of rage. He uses the car as a murder weapon. Mm-hmm. But he does not begin his process of repentance until the car itself has been baptized until okay, it's pushed yeah. into the Okay, yeah. So pond. I mean, yeah, you can like but in in those sorts of like sort of readings, right? Like I'm not going to argue that O'Connor's goal was not met in O'Connor's right. work. <laughs> right, right, right. And that right, a person right. adapting that is going to <laughs> by its na- by by nature have the things that O'Connor the sort of like the things yeah, that the O'Connor planted in the work, there, right? yeah. If <laughs> right, he changed right, all right. that, that would not be the same story anymore. My right. my point is, and this is this is where we're gonna. You and I will probably run in like to sort of a, well, an interesting impasse, which is listen, j- like many other things viewed from the outside, the thing itself is an indictment of the thing itself, right? Like O'Connor succeeds in talking about what O'Connor is aiming to succeed which is talking about this sort of in sort of inescapableness of 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 god and things like this but like the thing is from an outside perspective that itself is an indictment of christianity like in and of itself in whole cloth uh, right the it is it is a very thin difference uh to unfortunately allude to a ricky gervais quote uh, O'Connor is arguing that all of these iterations of Christianity 
are false. These are all false gods, but there is one one real god that maybe he finds in the end. Whereas Houston's coming out this is like, no, they're all just false gods. They're right. all and, and, they're and, all, and, and right. yeah, and it's very easy if you come from from a different direction, including the one <laughs> yeah. that kills him at the end. Like right, 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 right. Like that that apparently with with a certain reading moves through the hand of a cop that murders him. Like there's a lot right. of there's a lot of there's a lot of dark stuff even in yeah. the, a purely textual reading of what O'Connor has on yeah. the page. And I would I would I would say actually you know in my interpretation of O'Connor's actual ending, I would say that O'Connor is probably arguing that uh, he has continued to reject grace okay by punishing himself okay and so he is he is still rejecting the true god in as much as o'connor believes there's a true god right so and and if Um, we if we read it that way and that is what leads him to the bad end right but if we read it that way then like that gets even more complicated because if you have a a story about the nature of grace where which no one finds grace Right. What right, has right. what has one made? Yeah, like yeah, one has made exactly what I want to watch anyway, which is yeah. <laughs> guess what? Ain't gonna happen, man. Right, right. You can keep walking down these dark hallways, and you're gonna keep not finding what you're looking for. Right, right, right. I cannot. Obviously, there are certainly other people three of the people involved with making this movie, at least including its star, who interpret O'Connor differently to both how I interpret O'Connor and how Houston was interpreting Right, O'Connor. right. And given the uh, very overt reference in uh, First Reformed, uh, there are other artists like uh, Paul Schrader, who interpret O'Connor in the same way that Brad Dorif and right. uh, and the producers um, in First Reformed, our main character, who is actually he's not Catholic, but he is he is uh, I believe a Lutheran priest, um, ends up in a similar manner, binding his chest uh, with barbed wire uh, as a sort of self-flagellation. Um, not sort of. It's overtly self-flagellation. Their reasons for doing it might be different, but it is still overtly self-flagellation. Right. Uh, anyway, um, so you know, I I still maintain, even having having discovered a new one this week, I maybe like First Reformed solely because I like all of the movies First Reformed is referencing. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, and given given our experience with the rest of Shader's catalog. <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by the maybe it's end, an anomaly the, for me. <laughs> the idea of a of a the religious equivalent of like Tarantino buffs, like basically at this point, where that, it's like that is yeah. that is really what First Reformed is in in so many ways because it is it is a series of overt references to other. Uh, I don't even want to say other better movies because it, it really is masterly uh, masterly threaded together, but. Uh, but it's uh, it's essentially the plot of Winter's Light, uh, with an Ordet ending, with a little reference to Wise Blood and a lot of reference to, uh, uh, Diary of a Country Priest and right. uh, 
So it's got, you know, this is, this is, I'm sure I'll discover another one as we move through this. Oh, I'm but, sure, right? But, yeah. But it's another tick mark for, for movies that, that Schrader is clearly overtly referencing. Right. Um, uh, either in feel or, or whole plot. Um, uh, and really it's only the Ordet ending to have a more, uh, a more, I guess, happy ending than, uh, than either any of those other movies. Right, like, right. Yeah. Diary of Country Priest, uh, Guy Dies at the End, uh, Winter's Light, Existential Nightmare at the End, uh, right. and, and this movie, Guy Dies, uh, by his own accord in the movie, though not in the book, as it turns out, uh, which I'm going to keep bringing up because I think that's important. Uh, right. but, uh, but yeah, you know, I... I obviously am more more apt to enjoy this from a more O'Connor point of view, and right. you are more apt to enjoy this from a more Houston point of view. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and we so both I'm glad you did like it. Enjoy- right. No, I, I enjoyed it very much. I like the result is right. Like if you come at it with that preconceived notion, you're like, "Yep, this all totally checks out." Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can also, yeah, it, it's it's fascinating that way, really, that, like, this movie can exist sort of, like, in two places at once for people, like, which is, I, I thought, that's just very interesting to me, that, like, yeah. like, because, like, and, that, and that's sort of the fun part of what we're doing here, which is, like, we didn't converse about it in any way during or, like, prior, so, like, we both really just read these <laughs> this movie completely right. Right. different, uh, which is, fa- I mean, like, not completely different because we that's what makes it interesting right is that like it is it is purely the things that you and I brought along with us into the film that inform how we read the film yeah you know what i mean like we didn't actually really necessarily interpret the events of the film differently we just we contextualized them in our own life in a different way yeah it's it's also interesting uh Brad Dorif the bonus feature with him uh, he doesn't explicitly say this, but and and maybe timeline wise, I guess I guess timeline wise, it probably doesn't work out. Um, but you remember the last wave that Australian movie where uh, the guy has visions of uh, of a catastrophic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a while ago. That was yeah. I mean, um, I remember it in very like broad strokes. Yeah. Well, one of the things the uh, the creators of that movie had to say about it was that they were. Um, they were making a movie, uh, and we disagreed <laughs> about whether or not they succeeded here, I think. Uh, but they were making a movie that would show how a reasonable, logical, modern man would react to experiencing something obviously and undeniably uh, supernatural, um, a, a premonition, uh, among other things that right. were happening in that movie. <laughs> um Dorf actually has a has an interesting take on on uh, on Hazel. Um, also, interestingly, he was first asked to read for Enoch, and and he got the script to read for Enoch and read all of Hazel's part and said, "Hey, I want to do this other one." And right, they, okay. they were like, "Okay." Uh, anyway, uh, he uh, speaks of O'Connor's writing of Hazel as a man who is trying to become a saint within Pentecostalism, a sort of iconoclastic. <laughs> protestantism that doesn't actually have saints um so uh and that's that's an interesting thing about o'connor is that she's writing about us 
a sort of broad stroke Southern Christianity that is really not Catholicism. Right. Uh, even as she is a very devout Catholic herself. Uh, so, you know, uh, this, this idea of, uh, of Hazel trying to, trying to become a saint within Pentecostalism, uh, and trying to become a very Catholic idea of a saint within Pentecostalism, uh, and that being what leads him to a bad end is maybe maybe interesting as well from a religious perspective. Um, you know, O'Connor's got particular ideas about what Christianity is that uh, are probably diametrically opposed to many ideas I have about what Christianity right. is. But also she and I probably agree on on a bit too. Um, but hearing, hearing Dorf talk about it is... It's great. The bonus features in here. I, I, I'm a little sad you didn't get to watch them, but but they are. There are some very int- obviously time was a real issue this week right. for, for you. But uh, but uh, yeah, the the text itself speaks for itself. But the background material has some some real interesting stuff, and there's there's uh, plenty to experience on the DVD too. Um, but yeah, the the movie itself. Uh, the opening credit sequences with all of the, all of the various uh, religious weirdo stuff from America, from rural America, right? Um, and I think it's it's also uh, it is also uh, very important, I think, to understand that while the movie frames this as a rural Southern thing it is neither exclusive to the south nor exclusive to rural areas that right. that these sort of weirdo weirdo christian-esque things pop up well right yeah i mean i think that but, there to a certain extent like that's where sort of o'connor's i mean like i don't know enough about o'connor to know what sort of like she all the stuff she had going on but like this it is it is a it is a is an interesting choice to write about that. Well, O'Connor's it's, O'Connor's writing what she knows because right. she is a Southerner living. I mean, she right. She like, lived like I, yeah. twenty miles from where the movie was filmed. Right. She was born and bred in Georgia. So, that's yeah. Like, that's not my. That's not really my issue. It's more that like yeah. where it diverges is the fact that like, as you said, O'Connor grew up Catholic, right? Right. 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 And then writing about. Essentially, by about whole cloth, a, the the divergence between Catholicism and any sort of relatively modern American Southern Protestantism is pretty fucking intense. Like, right. there's a there's a there's those things have nearly as much not in common as they have in common. Right, and and, and in the in the middle of the 20th century, that was markedly more true. Right, right. You especially since you don't have a lot of those sort of like efforts to sort of like make a sort of like little c Catholic like Catholic yeah uh, institution in the United States like it 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 is that's my only it, I wonder if to a certain extent again we we would really need to read the 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 book itself right. like whole and, and it seems like it would be a worthwhile read like I would probably actually probably enjoy the the reading of it anyway um 
despite it having a more sounding yeah. also maybe having a more heavy handed uh, approach to, to its messaging, but to to give you an idea of the relationship between Catholicism and and Southern Protestantism, particularly. Ten years after this book came out, well, eight to nine years after this book came out, John F. Kennedy had to go in front of the Southern Baptist Convention to say that if he were elected president, he would not take direct orders from the Pope. Right, right. No, yeah, totally. I mean, like, in order yes, to I... quell the fears that 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 Catholics were somehow inherently anti-American for having having a religion that. Uh, <laughs> well, and and, and that, well, that that's a the, thing, and 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 had to go in front of a group of Christians whose church was founded by slaveholders to say right, that. Like, keep in uh, mind though that that's good old fashioned bigotry. That's right, a right, that's right, a different right. animal. Than what I'm saying also is having that, theologically that, in, almost diametric belief systems right, as right. well. But that bigotry was was very explicit. Right, right, right. For in sure. existence. And that's the background O'Connor's writing against too. Right. And so, so it's it's fascinating. Yeah. It's just a fascinating choice. And I wonder if I wonder if and how that informed her because most undoubtedly if like I would really need to read her background, but like, right. like I don't her, I don't know background. enough about O'Connor. Exactly. I've but I've it's read gotta a little O'Connor. But like her own experience have to be an influence on exactly how she understands that sort of other form of Christianity that she definitely came into contact on a like fucking daily basis, right? Right. Like you can't, you cannot live anywhere. You can't. I will not believe that you live in Georgia. You would live in Georgia and not come into contact with that basically nonstop. You just would. Right. Like you do when you're in. You know, it, it, you just do. Um, you know, it, it's just. Um, I, I I don't know. I just find it fascinating because we we're getting it sort of secondhand through a lens of John Houston anyway. But like, you know, you get the it is it does paint a sort of very grim picture, right? Not an inaccurate yeah. picture exactly, but a very grim one about like sort of how Christianity functions in the South well then and basically right. today as well right <laughs> and and there are there are marked differences uh uh but there are marked similarities flannery o'connor's christianity was not less racist than no the no no no, no. i'm more talking either. about the but um, but, but she yeah. seems to be very much focusing on the sort of like if your if your book is it, this is like a really like long path to take here, but to a certain extent, the book is about all these false gods, right? Right, right. But all these false gods are definitely couched in sort of iterations of modern Southern American Christianity. Well, I think they're they're mostly couched. There are particular Southern aspects to it, certainly, but I think a lot of it is couched in a more general American culture i suppose like, so. i guess it's just the, hazel's, the hazel's devotion the to his car hazel's devotion to his car i feel is an overt, overt commentary on mid-century car culture yeah uh, that's true that's true yeah i mean i guess i think it's probably because it's very easy because of the setting to like yeah. sort of like intermix those things 
and like the the you know the con man is a is a universal right, right. across well not Every, just America but all all of the world. Stanton, the religious Stanton con man Beatty's, is a universal. Yeah. Stanton and Beatty's preachers for money uh, are are also you know, uh, uh, Beatty's Beatty's more showman in his conmanship. Whereas Stanton is, you know, pretend to be blind and walk around the street con men sort right. of guy. But but they're still both con men uh, who are doing this just to just to make money. Stanton really just to get by, I think, more than get rich. Right. Um uh but uh but uh but Beatty's certainly trying to Beatty's character trying to get rich. Uh in that sense, Beatty's character is probably the closest to what I would understand as a direct commentary on the sorts of religious communities oh, and yeah. con men that you encounter, especially in the South. You don't. It's not that you don't encounter them in the North. It's just they they have been markedly more prevalent in the South. But that with the yeah. the, the hyper like charismatic the, evangelical the tent pastor, revival yeah. traveling, yeah, that yeah. sort of like, stuff. Oh, is definitely I'm going to milk you for through. every dime I got. Like. Beatty's yeah. character and then, twenty and years then later, town. right? And and you could also believe there's a direct line between that and what also ends up ha- has happened in America, which is you can believe a hundred percent that twenty years down the road, Beatty's got to make a church, right? Right. Like if he could get his shit together long enough to get one of the cons <laughs> to stick long enough, right. Beatty's got to make a church, right? Right. Right. It's all a matter of um, si- of 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 uh, sort of degrees of success, not the actual right. thing. And you know he's he is so far, you know he gets he gets a drunk to completely steal Hazel's shtick, right. the one hundred percent down to dressing like him, down to finding a similar looking car, right, um, right, uh, that is just as bad, because uh, <laughs> its its doors don't even close, right, um, uh, but yeah, and then just strumming his guitar in front of the guy, <laughs> while while he yells about his church church of no god, um. I in talking about all three of them, I do also want to talk about how O'Connor has some some pretty uh pretty choice names for those characters. Uh Hazel Motes, uh a an obvious reference to uh uh a saying of Jesus to uh examine the moat in your own eye or examine the log in your own eye before uh, commenting on the moat in someone else's eye, you know, look at your own, look at your own uh, self failings and take care of take care of those before you, before you uh, judge anyone else. Um, Asa Hawks, uh, pretty, you know, doesn't doesn't take a lot to just say he's a hawk uh, mm. from Asa as a first name and uh, hawk. You know, he's a he's a raptor, he's a thief, uh, he's a con man. Um, and and maybe this is a little a little more of a stretch, but but Hoover Schultz, first off, his last name kind of sounds like Show, which is what he's doing. Ned Beatty's character, and uh, and with first name Hoover, uh, I know it's not really an Americanism, but uh, but the idea of uh, Hoover as a as a word for vacuuming, uh, which is British, because uh, also... he's just sort of sucking up sucking up the crowd from from Hazel. Right, um, right, but also that's more of a stretch, I think. Uh, yeah, but what what year did this book come out? Fifty two. Fifty two. So and O'Connor was born in twenty five. Yeah. Like 
I would say that she may her parents, if nothing else, and she less so, but like would be also very, very well aware of, you know, the president. Right, right, Jay right, Edgar, right. For, who, who, not turn, Jay Edgar Herbert. Oh, sorry, Edgar. yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I, that's this. I would, but yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Herbert, Hoover's, Hoover. Hoover's relationship to the South is not great well, either, and, and, and is still and, in living memory. Right, and and that sort of being a, and that sort of being its own special long, like sort of long con, on right, right, on uh, right. on America and and things like that. Like, you know, it doesn't take a lot to imagine. Like. Yeah, I mean, O'Connor would have been born, like, would have been a very small child during his presidency, yeah. but would have, her parents most certainly would have, you know what I mean? Like, that's the sort of, everybody, for at least a generation or two after something particularly notably bad, there's a sort of, like, right. generational memory that goes on, um, and I can believe it also just being a sort of commentary on this sort of person offering nothing but putting on a good show kind of right right thing. right 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 you know what i mean like yeah. it, it doesn't take um, a lot to read that as a bad name you know <laughs> you know what i mean like to be like oh this is a we purposely chose a, a really shitty name for this person yeah for for a for a crash course on uh on how how bad hoover was to the south just go listen to randy newman's louisiana 1927 right uh <laughs> President Hoover came down in his railroad car and <laughs> looks at looks at the flood and leaves is basically uh, the uh, right right the yeah. ex- no wait that's Coolidge it's Coolidge in that too isn't but, it but but oh, it doesn't it, I Whatever. mean like but like Hoover's relationship to the Great Depression and the way that people like sort of suffered right right and right. And, and sort of a lot of good show without any actual sort of substantive meaningful actions or anything like that is all very much like a right a thing yeah you know there's a there is a reason why hoover does not have a have a good final president reputation you know i mean like the long the long sort of memory on hoover is well nobody liked him like, is this, <laughs> right, the sort of takeaway right. is like, you know, every history book practically you read, like, yeah, and this guy, piece of shit. I mean, yeah, should basically every president's sort of long takeaway be that? Yes. But some of them get it more than others. He was uh, he was the single-term guy right before the four-term guy. So, right. like, yeah. Uh, pretty pretty clear on, on relative popularity, at least. Right, well, exactly, so. right, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, it's not to say you know. Oh, you know what? Here, here we go. It was Coolidge in the in the flood, but uh, but Hoover was uh, Hoover was Coolidge's Secretary of Commerce, yeah. so he's probably still responsible for a lot of that flood response anyway. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a section uh, about the Mississippi flood in Hoover's in his bio, Wikipedia in this Wikipedia article. Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. it's not hard to figure. Like, it doesn't. I'm sh- like. And then again, it's also like if you sort of look at the long history of the the South. A lot of presidents have done the South pretty dirty over the years. I'm I'm sure a Southerner born in 1927 has uh, has opinions about Herbert Hoover. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so so throwing his name in there as as another 
showman con man who who you know promises a lot and delivers less uh maybe is a a pretty direct reference to uh to herbert more than more than anything else but uh yeah i mean they're still all sort of meaningful names right across the yeah board. i mean like on a scale of zero to to uh charles dickens and or dickens uh <laughs> like um it's not quite full dickens but i i'd still say sevens or eights yeah that's uh, a, that's where i was going with it too i was like well we haven't gone full dickens we're not <laughs> none of our names are direct or borderline direct slurs but right 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 uh we're pretty close yeah. Um always love to see uh Ned Beatty, always love to see uh Harry Dean Stanton. Um the uh the guy who plays Enoch uh is uh is Dan Shore and he actually uh I don't think we'll see him in any Criterion stuff, but uh he plays Billy the Kid in the first Bill and Ted movie. Presuming the um, the first Bill and Ted movie does not in fact become a Criterion film at some point. Which which it, it probably should. There's three. Yeah. You can put out a box set criterion, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't watched the newest one though. I don't know. I yeah. I didn't I haven't seen it yet. I, I have not heard rave reviews about it, which is sad, honestly. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's fine. It's just uh in the last in the last eighteen months, I uh I have not sought out a lot of new things to experience. No, uh, no, movies. I mean, yeah, that's been, also true, yeah. Been a lot of a lot of old comfort stuff and uh watching as little new stuff as as yeah, possible yeah. in many ways. So I'm there too. Um anyway, uh Brad Dorif uh has been in in so much stuff uh and I'm sure we'll see him at some point in another criteria. Right. Uh it has to be, right? But uh yeah. Uh but maybe damn, maybe so another another criterion Eventually, uh, he he does become the voice of Chucky in the Child's Play movies. So uh, so maybe we'll get a Chucky uh, Chucky oh. box set too. Yeah, I mean let, let's let's define what <laughs> I a know box set I that. would not want to watch is <laughs> right right like right. um I always I always managed to escape Chucky pretty much as a kid like yeah. it was in full effect when we were kids uh, right and I would see it and I'm like well that doesn't look appealing but I was never really like. Because I, I don't remember ever seeing any commercials or anything for it. And I think that was just because I didn't watch the kind of channels where they would put those commercials on. Right. And right. so, like, I never got really, really scared of Chucky the way I would get scared of other uh, monsters. I do not think I would like it. Everything I've seen, like, yeah. in clips of it, I'm like, this just does not look appealing at all. I will say that regarding Brad Dorf, he has not quite – he is definitely, looking at his filmography – Definitely operated on like working actor in Europe in the mid like mid century <laughs> right, slash right. maybe working take, Japanese take actor. Literally whatever like whatever job like is offered. Four movies yeah. a year. It's a lot. Like yeah. man is prolific. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. One of these and I mean, has to be in the one of these has to be in the Criterion Collection. Well, another one. I he's. Uh, I think Blue Velvet might be, uh, but I don't. I don't really know offhand. Um, I don't think one flew over the cuckoo's nest is, so he is famously in that. Uh, I mean, as a joke, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans might be. Yeah. At some um, point. David Lynch's Dune is not in the Criterion Collection. But, but should I, be. But should be. Um, uh, I say that authoritatively. Maybe maybe it is, and I'm just not I aware. mean, I don't know if it is. Uh, I mean, I do say authoritatively it should be. Like, yeah. 
It's um, it's a it's a oh movie. yeah, and he's he's Worm Tongue in the Lord of the Rings. Oh movies. well, right, but uh, none of these are these obviously are all, not in the Criterion collection. These are all either, doomed but. at some point to Criterion <laughs> releases. At, like <laughs> right. It's it's a it's a matter of it's a matter of if it's a matter of when right it depends on how long yeah. it takes to get to is Mississippi burning in I don't know I, I feel like that I don't know it sounds maybe I don't know who knows maybe the Deadwood movie will get a will get a Criterion release and <laughs> <laughs> just could be any it's so many possibilities anyway uh he's phenomenal in this everybody everybody really no is yeah great no in no this. yeah absolutely. Uh, Amy Wright is uh, is a delight to watch. Um, she's uh, she's not a, not quite as prolific as any of the male actors in the movie, but she's in she's in quite a bit of, of stuff too, and still working today. Well, maybe not still working today. I thought she was, but uh, I could be wrong on that. Seems like 2010 um, was her. Seems to be the 2010 the last thing she 2011 did, yeah. is the sort of end of her acting career in general. It seems. Yeah. Um. Interesting. She was uh, she was Rip Torn's wife uh, from '89 until his death. Uh, didn't know that, uh, but yeah, uh, they're all they're all delightful. Uh, everybody's all the named actors in this. Why I bring this up? All the named actors in this are are great. Are clearly enjoying what they're doing. Are phenomenal in their roles. Nearly everyone who is not a named role mm. is just some guy they found. Yeah, I can believe that. Um, just locals, the the uh, car salesman and his son, locals, the taxi driver, local, the prostitute, real working prostitute in Makeham. Right, right. Uh, who who explicitly said uh, she was happy to do the movie so that her children could see what her real life was like. Huh. Uh, a document of her real life as opposed to what people might have talked about uh, right after she's gone which is very interesting too um but yeah everybody everybody they run into all the crowds i'm sure just street you know street crowds they pulled pulled up um you know i don't know about the guy in the monkey suit but uh but well it's pretty we, clear we that, may never know about the pretty guy clear that the guys leading the the monkey suit are uh are are non-actors as well um yeah, the uh, yeah, it's just real, you know. And they found people who inhabit their roles pretty well. the The little kid at the car car sales place is, is a little ridiculous. Yeah, is maybe a little too excited to be in a movie because <laughs> um, he's sort of just yelling his lines with no. Right. Uh, but then again, but it, as a it person, could realistically by right, most right, children right. just kind of yell everything anyway. Right. 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 Uh, it wasn't you know, that unbelievable. It's not that unbelievable. That's the way a kid in his position would interact with a customer at his dad's uh, car lot, <laughs> um, at his highway robbery stop. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, this yeah, car retains you know. zero liquids. All liquids leave this car. <laughs> right. Two hundred fifty dollars. Ah. Well, three hundred at first. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, talks him down to what two fifteen, I think. Yeah. Um, but two fifteen and a tank of gas. Well, the tank's full. Well, the tank doesn't actually hold anything, so there's no way right. the tank's full. Right. Um, That's impossible. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I won't say it. I won't try to judge and say you didn't fill the tank, but the tank is definitely not full. Right. So, um. 
but yeah, you know, it's O'Connor's got a sharp wit and it's it's meant to be Southern Gothic satire and Houston takes a a diff, slightly different target in his satire of it, uh, but also, you know, is making a faithful adaptation and, and, and is phenomenal. Again, as we started with, I think Houston weirdly pulls a punch in the end. Uh, and right. I don't know, I don't know why. Uh, I mean, particularly because it's such a small thing to have included. I I, I kind of get it though, because yeah. if your goal, well, first of all, like I mean, Houston lives in America. Um, well, okay, I think, but like maybe maybe this is where you're going. But but Houston's goal is is to paint Hazel as the victim of his own doings so, right right exactly and so i think of, i think in out of religious you convention, can, you but. can see a world where houston is like this just muddies my metaphor which is right this shit kills hazel straight right. up right 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 there's no question about what does it it's this um you know and that makes it cleaner like whereas what the difference between a book and a movie? A big, a big difference, I think, between a book and a movie, is that O'Connor has the space and time to wrap more ideas, sort of fold in more ideas, right? Can right. add in things about the sort of power structures relationship to this stuff, so, and that stuff like that. Movies don't really have that as much flexibility for that, right? Like you can make a movie too confusing very quickly right like you can make you can ruin your own message in a heartbeat by just adding a few extra things to a movie whereas in a book you can do that because your your readers have already spent like a like at least like a few days with you you know what i mean they've already spent all this time learning what you think about things you're not going to confuse them with like one one line that doesn't exactly match with what you've been saying or 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 adds in an extra like wrinkle into things because if they're reading your book like that it's already over they've read your book wrong you've gotten into sort of some sort of kind of uncomfortable like fandom territory of like reading books on a like sort of line by line basis sort of problem and that's that's a whole other animal you've lost them it's over that's not what books right. are like so, like, you know, she just has the space that, that Houston doesn't have to, like, you know, mess around with things, basically, right? To say, yeah, yeah the cops did it, right? Like, you know. I will, you know, our last experience with a John Houston movie, I think, was Under the Volcano. It might be our only other experience uh, with I a think, John Houston uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, um, I'm trying to think. So I do, you know, I got to admire a guy who's who's willing to adapt maybe unadaptable books as a rule. <laughs> so, right. But, um, and as, and as I would say so far, we only have the two bat right. a hundred, like, you know, bat in a thousand. Like it's yeah, like this book, whether it was or was not, uh, sort of possible. Like it's successful. Like I, I got through right, the whole right, movie. Right. I enjoyed it. It was very, I got, I maybe I got a message. You got a message. We all got a message. Uh, Under the Volcano works basically exactly the same way, right? We yeah. we talked about it at the time, about stuff being cut out and changed, right? But, like, 
again, like, boy, you do not walk away from Under the Volcano wondering what Under the Volcano is about. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're not, like, you're not getting done, like, oh, man, that this is a, this is a, this is a real, yeah. you know, brain teaser, also, you know? You know, he also directed the Gregory Peck version of, uh, of, uh, uh, Moby Dick, which, you know, any, any adaptation of Moby Dick is a heavily edited adaptation. Right. Of yeah. You've got, you're going to have to cut some stuff out of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, boy, he does Moby seem Dick. pretty dedicated to, to, right. <laughs> like choosing, choosing things. Yeah. I think purposely... he does a film version of, doesn't he do a film version of Dubliners? Is that on the list? You're like, I've never seen it, but it's just like, you know, any, any adaptation of a Joyce novel is also, <laughs> right. A, right. Uh, is... A commitment to yeah so seems like a bit of a fool's errand but yeah yeah i mean yeah. you know i well wait is the maltese falcon is not in the criterion collection uh, it might I not so. i i would totally believe it's not i just it feels like it's not you know it's like one of those things like what like, it makes sense because it's one of those classic movies that like somebody owns the rights to and sure as shit is not letting go of them but um just fascinating yeah yeah, well, hmm. I generally, actually, wide release popular movies in the U.S. don't end up in. That's the what I. That's collection. what I meant. Is that like? So it's one of those things where, like, when you start to like try to understand the Criterion Collection, you it can mess with your head because, like, oh well, that's a really a good movie that you would be fun to see a Criterion Collection version of to see like what gets added in, but that's just not how this system works. You know yeah. what I mean? That's not how any of this works. Uh, um, we do have one other Houston film in the future. At spine number 84, we'll watch The Asphalt Jungle, which is his adaptation of a uh, uh, noir heist novel by H. W. R. Burnett. Um, you know, not to not to say uh, you know the book is going to be some in the same in the same realm as right, any of the other books right. we've mentioned, but, but it is another film, another uh, novel adaptation, but yeah. Um, but that, like I said, eight forty seven. So, so we're a while before we get another, just a little bit, just a, the just, other a, on the just a smidge. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I do, you know, I've <sighs> under the volcano was, uh, was not my cup of tea plot wise. Uh, no, as far as character to center, exactly. but but it was certainly a well done movie, and uh, I I thought in terms of I I remember my memory of it is more that like in terms of atmospherics and the way it conveyed oh, yeah, its yeah, message, yeah. message was just so well done that like whether or not it was a movie that was exactly in my wheelhouse in terms of like the story became a little bit less important because the atmospherics of the whole thing was like yeah just really really engaging so 100 percent uh there's also another really great uh great bonus feature on the uh on the dvd here that is uh uh, uh houston's longtime uh script editor um and she got her start uh worked with him on moby dick uh i think she might have gotten her start with uh moulin rouge but she came to him because she was working on uh Oh goodness, what was it? Uh, the Third Man. She was script editor on the uh, script director, uh, script supervisor on the Third Man, and yeah. Uh, 
Oh, goodness. I didn't know that. Ray Bradbury wrote the screenplay for his his version of uh, Moby Dick. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. The The Moby Dick keeps bobbing to mind because there's so many stories from the script, uh, the script supervisor about the shoot for Moby Dick um, and problems with that. And there's a, there's an extended interview with Houston himself, uh, a TV show, uh, where he talks about some of the problems with Moby Dick, too. Uh, no one mentions that in Moby Dick, for some reason, Gregory Peck is dressed as Abraham Lincoln in order to play to Captain Ahab, but uh, with the chin beard and the stuff right, like right. that, even. But, uh, There's some choices but, there, I guess. Uh, but yeah, apparently they had a lot of a lot of trouble, including the whale uh, the whale model becoming unmoored from the ship they were filming on and just sailing away with the script su- <laughs> with the script supervisor on it because that's where she was during during filming oh that's wild uh yeah it's just like what a what a st- like yeah i'm adrift on a moby dick um yeah yeah my uh angela allen is her name by the way uh i realized i hadn't mentioned it yet but uh but yeah she seems like a, a very interesting woman too um and with with an incredibly interesting career, yeah, uh, because from this I learned that the script supervisor on the Third Man is the same person who is the script supervisor on the 1998 Lost in Space movie. Huh. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So it's just getting kind of weirder, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was trying to. I was checking out um, Bradbury's uh, Wikipedia to see exactly where in his novel career uh, adapting Moby Dick falls. <laughs> so it's right. between Fahrenheit 451 and Dandelion Wine, which is fascinating. Yeah. Well, you know, he had to eat. So. Yeah. No, I'm not criticizing it. It's definitely, just, it's, definitely worse people you could have picked to adapt. I'm Moby just Dick. fascinated. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the idea of Ray Bradbury's style right and how that would interact with moby dick i just i'm fascinated yeah. by that notion i can't i bet i i want to i kind of want to watch it but i bet it's not very good have and you never it, and, have you never seen it before no i've never seen that adaptation of movie i mean I'm, I'm obviously that just i know the, the timing the timing of our lives the uh the patrick stewart one is probably the one you think about when you think about film adaptations of moby dick yeah but. i'm trying to remember i don't think i've i think i've I'm, I'm thinking of it. I'm trying to think, like, have I ever watched more than just a small portion of any film ad- adaptations of Moby Dick? I definitely That's had to read an too. abridged version of it for something at some point. Um, I, uh, when I was in college, uh, we, we read it in one of my classes, and the uh, the professor asked asked at the beginning, for some reason, he never did this with any of the other books, but he asked uh, if anyone had ever read it before, and I raised my hand, and then... And he was surprised. And then in reading it, I realized that I had definitely, I'd read Moby Dick, but I'd read one of those young readers abridged versions. Right. I, I have read Moby Dick. Like I haven't actually read Moby Dick. I've read I, various I read... abridged versions of Moby Dick right. se- more than once because of like the way life worked out. And that's the thing is like the abridged versions told me enough to know I didn't really want yeah. to read the, the full version. So I've just never gone back and done that, and I don't think I ever will, frankly. The the abridged versions cut out a lot of the weird experimental stuff that Melville is also doing in the book right. because 
novels weren't really a thing when Melville was writing right. Moby Dick. So like he's got a he's got one chapter that's written as a two man stage play. He's got <laughs> perfect. Uh, he's got three chapters that are just whole hog plagiarized word for word from a uh, how to dismantle a we- a sperm whale <laughs> instruction book. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a weird read. It really is. But uh yeah. Uh but this movie is uh is not Moby Dick, so let's maybe not talk yeah, about I mean, Moby I Dick anymore. So. Uh if it's wise blood to. because of because of Enoch's wise blood he's got inside him that is leading him to become the monkey. <laughs> right. Yeah, like I mean, you know the thing about it, it like, you know, they're all hmm. it's really hard to sort of honestly think about what i would want to say about this movie yeah just because like there's there's both a lot here and then each thing is its own sort of self-encapsulated thing and isn't in and of itself very long you know what i mean like each there's these sort of like pseudo i mean obviously all tied together and stuff but they're kind of pseudo vignettes uh in, in this journey for him yeah, Hazel's life is pretty compartmentalized. Right. Um, and so the result the is that, like, things. you know, each one of those is not really that much in the mo- in movie form, not that much material to, to dig into. Um, and kind of comes and goes, and you move on to the next thing. Right. I would like to point out that there's, there is a way to interpret that one way or the other, the cop still kills Hazel, because it is definitely... The pushing of of his Jesus car into the mo or into the ri- into the lake, that is the direct, like, per, uh, like preceding event that causes him to sort of spiral right. out of control and. So the, uh, and the movies die. still have the cop. The movies still have the cops kill Hazel. They just have a different cop. Yeah, and a little bit earlier, right? It's a longer <laughs> a chain earlier. that leads to it. Yeah, but it is definitely like. He definitely blinds himself because of that in the movie. Right. And that right. definitely leads to all the other self-flagellation stuff as well. So, you know. Well, I mean, that. he he does all that out of repentance for the murder, not just because he I, lost his Jesus. Well, but, but here's <laughs> the thing, right? Is that, like, yes, he does that as... Re- well, okay. Let's be very clear Yes, he does, but we also don't know that he does. Like, you know what I mean? Right, like, it's right, not. Right. It's not explicit. None of that is made said. explicit in the text. That's true. And I'm not going to argue that that's not the reason. But also, his faith in his Jesus car right. may have allowed him to commit that murder and not spiral out of control. Right, right, right. You, right. you know what I mean? Well, I mean, it already spiraled out of control, but he may not have spiraled in that direction had he had some sort of like thing to ground his sort of pseudo faith in. Yeah, but as soon I as mean, he loses the car, then it's when it's then it's when he like loses it, like it's just over. Yeah. One one reason I think his relationship with the car is a direct commentary on on the American religion of the automobile is the line he says: "Nobody with a good car needs to be justified." You know, like <laughs> right, it's pretty, right, pretty explicit, so. right? Well, yeah, I mean, and also very much like a very explicit, I would argue, a very explicit commentary on. Many, many interpretations of Christianity in and of themselves right. as well, right? Right, like, right. Like, I don't right. need to be justified. I've got this thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, tying it to a car in America is is, is a brilliant and yeah. very important commentary on 
both on you kind of get a two for one package on that one. Uh, this sort of like car idolatry combined with this sort of general religious idolatry that takes place in the United States with regards to sort of whatever you know the way whatever interpretation of Christianity somebody wishes to hold up as their right. single justifying factor that allows them to do basically anything they fucking want to other people but where you come from when he's gone where you thought you were going isn't there Hazel does have some pretty pretty good little profound no yeah no he uh, has some good lines tidbits. yeah yeah uh but yeah it's uh I I really did love this movie. I'm glad you love this movie. I yep. was I was a little concerned that that its religiosity might pu- put you off from it, but uh well, see that's you, the interesting thing. I think we have we, this is the first one that was more most explicit, but as we've talked about, we have talked about this with some other movies that were playing around Yeah, in mostly Brunel films. Yeah. Right. Well, Brunel films are different well, in the Brunel films Brunel films that weren't the Milky Way. Right, right. <laughs> you were Yeah. Yeah, well, the Milky Way suffers from its not from Milky Way suffers from something totally different than <laughs> than any of the other religious films we've watched. Uh, this one, this one is interesting because it plays in a space that we haven't watched that many movies try to directly right, right, get right, into. Right. Uh, most of our other religious films have been either have been. I'm trying to think. Like I, when I think about it, they're they're either they are supposed to be commentaries on on religion and. They are very oftentimes very heavy-handed about that, or yeah. or they are very they are meditations on personal religion, and that's a whole different experience, right? Because every right. you know, I also personally have experience with personal meditations on personal religion, right? So, and you cer- um, you certainly also have experience, you know, with with where your family comes from and and where you went as a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. The the public, the public Jesus Christianity of uh, of of. You know, rural South in particular. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it is it is. Yeah, I have experience with this. Like I, you you like you know, we all have experience with things related to this. I went to the. I didn't go regularly, but you know, I visited whenever I visited my grandmother. We went to like these kinds of churches, right? Like not you know the kind that 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 tent that he is in at the beginning is the kind of place i went when i not, was visiting not quite my snake handlers but not quite not snake handlers. yeah yeah it's a uh, real real gray area there yeah uh, yeah um yeah i uh, love the opening credits i did it did bring to mind one one image that i think would be added to the opening credits if this movie were attempted to be remade uh one of my favorite favorite things a church sign that i'm pretty sure is actually from rural ohio uh but it's uh it's a banner pasted over the church sign that says uh, amateur wrestling and gospel sing. Oh, beautiful. Music starts at noon, free. Music starts at noon, wrestling starts at four. <laughs> I, I'm, I am eternally and deeply fascinated by the, the God plus alpha like yeah, connotation yeah, yeah. of religion is, where you're like, I, well, you know, because remember we had the, that church in um, where you know and where we grew up where um, where like it was like they had the gymnasium and it was like it would always be like Sunday service plus like basketball shootout like or something like right, that right, afterwards right. it's like okay yeah middle aged sure. men playing three on three immediately after the Sunday service exactly once like, they once they move the chairs off of the right yeah. right yeah it's you know 
it happens. And, you know. And it happens more, everywhere. <laughs> there, are, there are much more toxic iterations of that. And yeah, I think for sure, for say, sure. Uh, like, St. Mark Driscoll's church. Like, uh, hell, wrestling is is a relatively yeah. low toxicity version of that right, on a relative right, right, scale, right. right? Like it can get a lot, uh, like it can get a lot more. Like you know, at least these are kind of just sort of general entertainments, right? Right, right. right. Anyway, a real fun movie. Highly recommend Wise Blood, uh, directed by John Huston, came out in 1979, uh, based on the Flannery O'Connor book. Um, yeah, like I said, O'Connor O'Connor has a lot of really good writing, uh, but she does. I don't want to ex- excuse it as common to her time and upbringing because there are certainly people of her time and upbringing who rejected it. But O'Connor's got some racism problems, so I can't. Yeah, I can't blanketly recommend O'Connor. Um, uh, there is a lot of good stuff in a lot of what she wrote, uh, and and a lot of the racism is in private. The more overt racism is in private letters than. Uh, than her actual writing but uh but yeah it's not there's some not great stuff right Uh, but yeah um next week uh we start a box set pigs pimps and prostitutes with pigs and battleships uh directed by shohei inamara uh from the early 60s uh so look forward to that and that whole box set inamara has uh has eluded us i think in the past with the pornographers and with uh What's his uh, vengeance is mine? Um, were both, uh, I think, interesting films that didn't land for us. But mm-hmm. uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how this box set goes. I'm excited to talk about at least the first one, Pigs and Battleships. I I, I found that one very interesting. So uh, yeah. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, to Lost of Criterion. I am as always the Adam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oritari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. in Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.